0: Welcome to Redemption Community Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit www.redemptiondallas.org. Father, thank you for your word this morning, for the reading of your word. We know that it is anointed and that it will accomplish all that you have purposed for it. We pray for Your anointing in these next few moments as we preach Your Word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may ask the question, what does these two passages of Scripture have in common? Uh, Scripture on baptism uh, that Paul wrote later after the story that I read this morning, and then a passage about Jesus forgiving a lame man's sin, and then healing his body. We're going to move into Romans here in a couple weeks and talk about baptism, and that's why I read that passage this morning. Uh, But I want to lay the foundation first about our need for God just a very simple idea that we need God in 2013 I received a phone call uh, and I was asked to preach the funeral of a young lady that I did not know she was in her early 20s and she had passed away of an accidental heroin overdose and I accepted it was glad to do it I showed up at the funeral home that day and didn't know anybody there was no one in the room, I looked around, I just didn't know any of the people had never been in that building before, and as I was sitting there waiting uh, to step up and speak, they played the George Jones song, Why Me Lord. Uh, that might rank as one of the saddest songs that you could ever, uh, just listening to it, it's just inherently sad. And in the play in that setting, in that funeral home with maybe 25 or 30 people present, Uh, it was it was a tough situation it was a tough spot to uh, to be in to get up and uh, to get up and preach or to to give a sermon to comfort them and that's what the point of the the service like that is it's it's about the family and comforting the family so i rode in the hearse after uh, the service with the funeral director to the uh, place where they were burying her which was on private property and it was a long car ride It was about a 45-minute car ride so we had a lot of time to talk and he opened up and he told me a little bit about the situation and just how it had happened and all of that and it was sad it was the result of a very sinful condition but it was the result of a sinful condition that not only that young lady experienced but it was a condition that every single one of us were born with she wasn't born with something that drew her to that that she had and I didn't have we all have this condition and it's called a sinful nature It was King David, the man the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, who wrote the words, "...I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me." We were all brought forth and born with a sinful nature. The universe was created by God in absolute perfection. The physical universe was a manifest reflection of God's holiness. And when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, the rebellion and disobedience against God by man had a ripple effect that was felt in every insect and every animal and every planet and every star and every fish and every tree. The whole creation fell. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8 that the whole creation is groaning. Paul says it's awaiting its redemption eagerly. But the sinful nature of Adam and Eve it was passed down to their children and to their grandchildren. So you may or may not inherit your parents eye color or your parents hairline or your parents temper. There's these dominant and recessive genes that play the chances and the odds of whether or not that happens. You may or may not inherit those things, but you will without a doubt inherit the sinful nature passed down to every man and every woman who has ever lived. And it is that sinful nature that causes the chaos and the brokenness that reveals itself in the headlines every day. You click on any news site every day, there'll be a story there. And really what the story is saying is that this person had a sinful nature that led them to give them the ability to do what they did. So sin isn't just doing something bad. Sin is a description of our nature that causes us to be cut off by God and propels us to brokenness and into bad Behavior. And the suicide and the murder and the mental abuse and the physical abuse and the drug abuse that is saturating our culture that we live in is the clearest witness that people need God desperately. It is not evident to people that they need God. God. So people try everything else to fix the solution and often the solution that they seek only fuels the brokenness that they were trying to mend in the first place by doing what they, they sought. It's just classic human nature. We go to this, this thing that we think will fix it and it is. It's a wellspring that never rejects or denies. And it says, yes, For it's a temporary patch but it is never a long-term solution. So people in abusive relationships often will seek drugs to numb the pain and it just adds the insult to injury. And C.S. Lewis said, and it is probably one of, his, it is one of his top five most well-known quotes that Lewis said, is that all that we call human history, money, Poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. It is the long terrible story of man trying to find something other than God to make him happy. Now when I say people, I'm not pitting myself against them. I stand here this morning by the grace of God and by His grace alone. I don't deserve to be here. I am a fundamentally broken person with a sinful nature. but. The reality is that if we're here this morning, I mean just simply here, just simply present in this space, in this service, we say, hey, I don't have all this figured out, I don't have life figured out, I'm struggling in some areas, but if we're just simply here, we are blessed beyond measure because it is a a signal, a sign that we recognize I need God people need the lord i need him you need god in your life every man woman boy and girl in this city needs god people don't need more money Uh, they don't need more fame they don't need more success money yeah maybe some people need more money i wouldn't turn that down Uh, so maybe we need some more money Uh, i can't say we don't need any more money Uh, i can tell you i don't need any we don't need any more fame any more success in this world's eyes uh, but we need God. When people walk through these doors, the only thing that I have to give them is Jesus Christ. I mean, that's it. I, I'm, it, it it's, it's a one-trick show. It's like, hey, I have Jesus Christ to give you and His teachings and His Spirit and His presence, and that's it. I have nothing in and of myself to be able to fix somebody's problem. I don't have the advice. One of the most detrimental things I have seen ministers try to do in a really bad situation when somebody's just walking through hell on earth, is to try to offer these words of wisdom that are just going to magically make this all go away. Uh, It was actually an evangelist years ago that counseled me. Uh, He and I were just talking in an impromptu conversation. He he said, "I, I want to caution you against that. He said, you just don't have the words to fix it. He said, that's not your job. That's not your role. And, and since then, uh, reading great writers and pastors like Eugene Peterson who write about this, and just say, you're, you're not there to, to fix the problem. You're there to give spiritual direction. You're there to give comfort in a very difficult and dark time. And I do that, we do that through the ministry of the Word, through the presence and the power of the person of Jesus Christ, through the power of His Holy Spirit that dwells among us. There's a song, I don't know how old the song is. I know it's been around for several years and the the lyrics start out and it says, if the ship of your life is tossing on the sea of strife, you need someone. And if you feel so all alone and your house is not a home, you need someone and if it seems life isn't fair and there isn't no one left to share all those lonely days and nights and things just won't turn out right and you need someone to care and just someone to just be there you need someone." It's a great song but at this point that could be the lyrics to a country western song. I mean there's nothing inherently there about God. I mean that, I've heard a lot of songs that start out that way that take a drastically different turn than where this song went. But the rest of the lyrics give the correct answer for all of life's heartaches. And then the song over and over says, I give you Jesus, He's the peace that passes all understanding. I give you Jesus, He's the perfect love that casts out all fear. I give you Jesus, He's the water that you drink and never thirst again. I give you Jesus, my friend, I give you Jesus. And that is all we have to offer today to a lost and dying world. And that is enough. It's more than enough. It's everything. It is the ultimate reality of the universe, is the person of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal, holy, sovereign, infinitely good, infinitely wise God of the universe. But this is why, this is so important, why we have to be careful not to overexpose ourselves to a seeker-sensitive mentality. Meaning... What do the people out there want in their church? So let's take a poll among sinners and unchurched people and say, what kind of church would you most likely be to, to attend? And then customize your church so it's seeker-sensitive. This was the rage in Christianity in the 1990s, early 2000s. The word seeker-sensitive was everywhere you looked. I, I lived in it. I was saturated in that that world. And the, 90s and 2000s was seeker-sensitive. And the people that did that, the very people that did that came back later and said that really wasn't such a great idea. The leading proponent, I think he's the one that came up with the term, was Bill Hybels, pastored Willow Creek in Chicago, at the time the largest church in the United States. And they were doing innovative things in church services long before anybody else did it. They had Joe Gibbs come speak at the church who was at uh, an NFL coach and then also owned a a NASCAR team and they said how can we introduce Joe Gibbs and so what they came up with was uh, before Joe Gibbs came to the to the pulpit they would have a crew come out as a pit crew dressed up in a NASCAR pit uniform and they would run out and work as fast as they can they would replace the pulpit, they had some glass that they cleaned real fast, and just all this thing in a few seconds, and they would run off the stage, and here would come Joe, Joe Gibbs. And it just was, uh, just back then, nobody was doing anything like that. But even Bill Hybels, who pastored this church later on, came back and said, you know, that the seeker-sensitive concept that we were trying to do, he said in the long run, it just, it didn't really pan out, and in the end, Uh, that entire church just absolutely imploded about two years ago from the top down. This is not a taste test in the Isle of Sam's Club. This is not you tell us what you like best and we'll customize a worship experience for you. We must give people what they need not just what they think they need and what they need is an encounter with the God of this universe. It is the only thing that will leave people changed fundamentally in their heart, in their mind, who they are, how they think, how they live, how they act, is when they encounter Jesus Christ through the power of His Spirit. So we've got to give the world what they need and what they need is God. We are ambassadors of God's kingdom to spread the kingdom of heaven throughout this city. So in the story of Mark chapter 2, we just read that Brad read the Scripture, people really weren't all that amazed that Jesus forgave this man's sin. It wasn't until Jesus healed his body that people were amazed and said, we've never seen anything like this. But nobody was really wowed that Jesus forgave this man's sin. Now, it got the attention of the religious leaders. But that night around the dinner table, people were telling the story about how I saw a crippled man healed today. I don't think they were talking as much about, and I saw he got his sins forgiven today. No, they were, that, that, that was in the backgrounds. That was the shadow of what actually happened. It was like, hey, we, we saw this guy and he couldn't walk, and this man, his name was, I think his name was Jesus or something like that. I don't know who he was. He came through town and he, but he, I watched him. He, he healed this man. It was undeniable, unexplainable, but undeniable what this man, Jesus, did. But the religious leaders said Jesus committed blasphemy because only God can forgive sin, and they are correct. If Jesus is not who He claims to be, He does commit blasphemy because He has to be God in order to forgive sin. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, error was that they failed to recognize the identity of Jesus Christ. But it was only a few verses before that Jesus was preaching that the time was fulfilled and the Kingdom of God was at hand. So Jesus is preaching this message and He says, The Kingdom of God which all of you Jews and religious leaders know about because you know your Old Testament's stone cold inside and out. You know it talks about the Kingdom of God and the Kingdom of God is going to come someday and it's going to come with a Messiah who's going to save all of you people. And I'm telling you as Jesus that that time is here. Now is the time the Kingdom of God is here. And the Jews knew from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 33, they knew that when the kingdom of God would be ushered in by the promised Messiah, that it would result in two things in Isaiah 33. It would result in the healing of the body and the forgiveness of sin. And what did Jesus do in Mark 2? He healed a body and He forgave sin. It was an indicator. Jesus is sending out these signals saying, if you'll pay attention to what I'm doing here, I'm doing what the fulfillment of Isaiah 33 said. I'm healing bodies and forgiving sin. Let's read it. This is Isaiah. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. It is He who will save us. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill. There's the healing component. And the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. So it's clear indications from the Old Testament. This is what I talked about earlier about when we're in the New Testament, we're engaging the Old Testament. You can't help it because if you're in the text, the text is going to engage the Old Testament. But the religious leaders had to make a clear choice that day. Either Jesus is the Messiah, or He is a liar and heretic and guilty of blaspheming God. We are talking earlier about top five C.S. Lewis quotes. Another top five C.S. Lewis quote would be, You have to decide. You are forced to decide. Either Jesus is Lord, lunatic, or liar. He is one of those three. And when you are faced with His teachings and the reality of Christ, you have to make a decision. And the world makes a decision every day. We will disregard Him as irrelevant. Maybe He was crazy. Maybe none of it's true. Or if that's not true, then He really is who He said He was. And that is the Lord of the universe. little side note here that... The name of God. This is nowhere in my notes, but I think it's just when you're reading the New Testament, it's just so good to know this. It's, it's powerful when you're reading this to, for the identity of who Jesus is. In the Old Testament, you had different, you had a couple different names for God or gods. So sometimes in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Elohim. Uh, Elohim is always in the plural. It doesn't refer to multiple people. It always refers to the fullness of who the person is. So the Elohim referring to as God. But there are other gods, like lowercase g gods in the Old Testament, who are referred to as Elohim, the Elohim, or the gods. There are other gods in the Old Testament. Sometimes even supernatural beings, Psalm 82, the Divine Council, the Elohim. Uh, that we don't fully even understand what's there. But when it talks about Yahweh, which is the name of God, it's the name that God gave to Moses. When Moses is standing at the burning bush and he tells Moses, you're sending me to deliver these people, who do I say sent me? Like on whose behalf am I going? And God says, you tell them the I Am sent you, which is the the Yahweh. It's four letters, Y-H-W-H. And it's, it is the name of God in the Old Testament. Any time, hundred percent of the time in the Old Testament when you're reading the Old Testament and you see the word LORD in all capital letters, you know that underlying that is the word Yahweh. It is the name of God. It's not Elohim. It is the proper name of God. When in the New Testament it's describing Jesus Christ as Lord, Those that wrote the New Testament were forced with a choice to decide how are we going to describe Him, and they describe Him as the Lord. They describe Him as, the the word there was kurios, which just means Lord. And the only time they do that is when they associate that back with the Old Testament God of Yahweh. In other words, the New Testament writers from the early get-go of the New Testament, they are immediately pinpointing and nailing down the identity of Jesus Christ to say Jesus is Yahweh. He is the God of the Old Testament manifest in human flesh. He's not another person representing God. He is fully divine in human flesh. And this was the assertion, this was the argument that Jesus is making about Himself. I am the Lord of the Old Testament. I am the Yahweh of the Old Testament. And they could not handle that as religious leaders and they killed Him for that. But Jesus Christ, He does heal and He does forgive sin because He is God and only God can do either one of those things. But Jesus does heal this man's body. But the greater miracle, the miracle the man needed the most was when Jesus forgave his sins. Now let's picture this morning that somebody walks in here and they're, they're crippled or they're blind or they're deaf. There's some obvious physical ailment. And we, we pray for that person and God heals that person miraculously. That can happen and it does happen still today. We believe in miracles. If someone were healed or raised from the dead, Facebook would explode. You would talk about it, you'd tell everybody you saw, uh, it would be all over, the, all over the place. It would be, hey, I saw this guy today get raised from the dead. I saw this guy, he never had walked in his life and, and now he walks. People would be throwing out phrases like, you know, devil stomping and off the chain and all these other phrases that I've committed to never using in my life. But they would be out there somewhere uh, in the social media sphere, might even be on the news, hey, this guy, he was raised from the dead. It's all great. But Jesus said, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels should rejoice when somebody repents and so should we. People are sinners and their sin separates them from God and there is no way around that fact and we do not have the righteousness needed to save us. But God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He imputed His righteousness upon me. He justified me. He gave me His righteousness because I couldn't be saved on my own. So Jesus imputes His righteousness. And when I stand before God, I stand before God in right standing, not because of how I live or how I act. I do it by proxy, by the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. And I thank God that He's a healer of the body. But the greater miracle is the act of declaring me righteous when I am guilty as sin because of sin. So think about this man in Mark 2. I don't think we even get his name. I'd have to go back and read it again, but from memory I don't think that we even are given his name. Most of the time in the Gospels we're not given the name. It's just the man in Mark 2 who received his healing. But that man who received his healing has been dead for 2,000 years. I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. I don't know if he was a young man. Maybe he lived 20, 30, 50 years more after that. Whatever the case, he's been dead for a long time. But Jesus forgiving His sins, that has an eternal effect forever. I am righteous because Christ is righteous. I am holy because Christ is holy. This is the first part on a series of baptism. Next week I'm going to talk about repentance. People need to understand that they need God and the next step after that realization is now I've got to repent. And I'm going to talk next week about what it means to repent. I'll say this about repentance. Being baptized in water and the wonderful name of Jesus Christ is something that only happens once in a lifetime. Um, receiving as God justifies us and He gives us His Spirit and He pours out the baptism of His Spirit upon us. You can be renewed in that, but that baptism, initial baptism, happens once. Repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance is a lifestyle. It is something that we do throughout our entire lives. And we'll talk about more about that next week. But we all need to understand, and we're simply here to help people understand, that they need God. And here's the wonderful thing about needing God. The wonderful thing about needing God is that all you need to know starting out is that I need God. Every person that walks through these doors, every person that we reach out to, the only thing that they really need to understand to begin is that I need God. That's it. You don't have to understand everything about the Bible. I don't. I have lots of questions about the Bible that I don't understand. I have lots of questions about the Bible that I don't imagine that I will fully understand in this life. I think we'll get to, uh, here it comes, C.S. Lewis quote number three, not in the notes, but just Lewis engages us. And Lewis said that, I think that when we get to heaven, we'll step into it and go, aha, as in a sense of, oh, this is what he meant in his word. Uh, it's like, it'll all become so crystal clear. And I, I look for that day. I long for that day when I'll step before, stand before God and it'll all just make so much perfect sense. But right now we do what Paul says, we look through a glass darkly and a lot of times very, very darkly. So you don't have to understand everything. None of us do. You can have issues with organized religion. I have lots of issues with organized religion, but just so far it beats disorganized religion, so we go with it. Uh, You don't have to know what words like justification and sanctification mean. I hope that people eventually see the beauty of those concepts even if they never use the words, but you don't need any of that starting out. You don't have to know how to find the book of Obadiah. In the Old Testament, if I pick up a Bible and need to find Obadiah, I'm going to have to search. I'm going to, you know, I know it's in those minor prophets towards the end, but I'm not exactly sure what comes before and after it. That's okay. Uh, you don't have to know anything other than, man, I'm a sinner and I need God so desperately. Because if you have that revelation, if you have that understanding, you are on your way to a lifetime of enjoying the beauty and glory of God. It's not just people new to faith that need... To understand that they need god i need to understand that i need jesus i did not get saved by the gospel and now i'm being kept saved by something else i am kept saved by the same gospel message that saved me in the beginning the gospel the good news that jesus died and rose again for my sins the gospel the good news of who jesus christ is the the gospel of what rc sproul defined as simply who Jesus was and what Jesus did. That's the gospel. And it's the gospel that will keep me until the end of my race. Because the gospel is the good news. That's all the word means. It just simply means the good news and it's the greatest news in the universe. Because the bad news is that people are without God. The good news is that every single person can experience the gospel in their own lives. Every single person alive can experience the stunning, life-altering good news that Jesus saves and Jesus delivers and Jesus breaks the chains of abuse and addiction. Every single person can be united with Christ and be in Christ and Christ be inside of them. That's why we must preach the gospel and no other message. Everything that we say and do must have a gospel flavor to it. Jesus Christ saves. Jesus Christ delivers. In Mark 2, what Jesus was doing was preaching the Word. Paul told Timothy, preach the Word, preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to give light and bring hope to a people that need Him. The realization that you need God is the very first step towards being united in Christ and for being in Christ. And all of this is signified in our baptism. We are dying out to ourselves. We are being buried with Christ so that we can experience resurrection power that comes through being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Say, why, why do we baptize? We had the wonderful privilege of baptizing Brad, Brad back in January. And, you know, why, why do we call the name of Jesus over somebody when we baptize them? It's not just because it's the way the early church did it, and that may be true. That's not the only reason and I would argue that's not the primary reason. We don't even know for certain if the command to baptize in, in the name of Jesus Christ was a, given as a formula for the person performing the ceremony. That's an assumption on our part. If, if you minimize it to just the words that are spoken over the person, you're, you're minimizing what's actually happening. To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is to identify with Christ. It's not just words that are pronounced over, and that's good and right, but it's being baptized into the person of Jesus Christ. You are identifying with Christ. You're being buried with Him in baptism. You are in Christ through baptism. But it's not the only reason. I would not argue it's the... The primary, it's not the primary reason, just because they did it that way. The reason we baptize in Jesus' name is because you are being united with Christ. It's the person of Jesus Christ that you're being united with. And so we baptize in the name of that person. But not only is God coming to dwell in you by His Spirit, but you are dwelling in Christ signified by baptism. There is over 150 times in the New Testament, 150 times in a very short span of pages if you look at the New Testament. It's not that uh, big of a portion of a book. But 150 times Paul says to us in his writings, we are in God or in Christ or in Him. It is the primary, number one way To be a Christian is identified in the New Testament is to be be in Christ. That's how believers thought about it. I am a person that lives and abides in Christ. Paul was teaching the church how to think of themselves in relationship with Christ, namely in relationship with Him. You are not just baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You are baptized into the person of Jesus Christ. So we might be like the man in Mark 2 who comes to Jesus. And most people do this. Most people who come to Christ usually come to it not because they need forgiveness of sins, but because there's something else in their life that's an absolute train wreck and they end up coming and getting their sins forgiven through a relationship. But most people come to, a lot of people come to God because something's not right in their life. And God God's going to draw that and God's going to work through that. But when we come to Jesus for whatever reason, He is first going to open our eyes and show us that what we really need is the forgiveness of sins. The sinner comes to Christ and says, I need deliverance from this. I need help from this. And God says, I'm going to help you with that. But what you really need is to be right with me in an in-right relationship. So I close with these words from the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God." We need God. We need His righteousness, and we need His righteousness to become our righteousness. Isaiah said our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's not good. It doesn't work. I don't don't have it in and of myself. There's nothing uglier. There's nothing that stinks more than self-righteous people. I don't have anything to give. I need Christ's righteousness. And too many good saints of God live under condemnation trying to get to heaven, trying to be saved on their own righteousness, wondering if Christ returned today, would I really make it? I had a bad day yesterday. I thought some things I shouldn't have thought. I I acted out of character. And Oh, man, I don't know. Today's not a good day for Him to come back. Today's not a good day for me to get hit by a bus, because I need about a week to get back. No, no, no. I'm not going to be saved off my own righteousness. I stand acceptable before God because of what Christ did for me on the cross. Being united in Christ is the greatest miracle that you can ever, ever receive. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, Your Spirit is here working now. I I, I can feel it. I, I know from Your Word, I trust it that You're here working among us, helping us this morning to understand our desperate need for you and the good news is that we need you and through the message of the gospel of jesus christ we can know you we can be in right relationship with you we know from your word that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus we thank you this morning for that promise i ask you today lord that you would anoint us as we leave this place with an anointing of purpose that You would help us to be conscious of our calling as ambassadors on behalf of Christ to be a light and a healer and an agent of hope in a lost and dying world. Go with us now. Keep Your hand upon us this week. Order our steps according to Your Word, and we thank You for it this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.